Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at emotions uh, as modeled in the Pixar movie Inside Out. So far, we've looked at sadness, fear, and anger, and we have disgust and joy yet to do. <coughs> but today, we have a surprise sermon. Yes, a sermon on surprise. Surprised? <laughs> Even though Inside Out lacked surprise, the psychologist who consulted on the film lists seven core emotions, the five in the movie, as well as surprise and contempt. And no, we don't have any plans to do a sermon on contempt. You'll just have to settle for Stephen's disgust sermon, which should be coming up this week. So in the absence of an Inside Out clip to show you, I'm just going to have to uh, share an example. In the final weeks of my first time in Japan, I decided to take the opportunity to go on a hike with friends. The day of the hike dawned fine and cold, perfect hiking weather. We had three guys and four girls. The guys were Glenn, another friend called Graham, who you can see in these photos, uh, and myself. And the girls were Michelle, a Canadian, and Sanai and Mickey. Mickey is at the front, Sanai is at the back, uh, and Mabel, a Hong Kong Australian girl, who's in the middle in those photos. After some time climbing the steep mountainside trail, we encountered a surprise to us. Snow. We weren't expecting it. Now, snow hiking is actually not that unusual in Japan, but you have to be ready for it. And Mickey and Sanai and Mabel were not. They were all wearing everyday shoes with virtually no grip. You can actually see under Mabel's shoe there. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, and, and on snow, that was a disaster. So at this barrier, when we encountered this barrier, this group split up in surprising ways. One of the fault lines was the pre-existing relationships. At this time, I had a bit of a crush on Michelle, the Canadian girl. I had told my friend, who's an Aussie, Glenn, about this, and he'd taken this on board to such an extent that he was now interested in her. So... And, and Michelle, Michelle herself was worried about getting to an English lesson she was teaching later that afternoon. And so she and Glenn just disappeared off into the distance. They both had good shoes on. They were trying to get back sooner. And that left me feeling a little disgruntled, alone with Graham, to help these three girls in their slippery shoes. I think I'd rather be in your position, three girls to one. Yeah, in, in retrospect, I was the winner. <clears throat> now, Graham had come to Japan in pursuit of Sanai. And in that picture on the right, you can see Graham and Sanai together there. Look at the smile on Graham's face. Um, and he was still uh, in, in... He hadn't given up on that pursuit at this time. So naturally, he paid a bit more attention to Sanai, which left Mickey and Mabel... And me. We got to a point near the summit. This is going, the photos are going downhill. But we got to a point near the summit where the trail led straight up the slope 
and there was a rope to pull yourself up. Mm. Pulling yourself up slippery slow snow is a challenging exercise even when you've got proper footwear. It was just one surprise after another, this hike. Graham managed to get Sanai and Mickey up the slope, uh, but Mabel just didn't have the upper body strength, especially with her tall body, to pull herself up. And we, Mabel and I, eventually made it up the slope with me leading her from tree to tree. You can see what the trees are like here. But in between trees, I... Uh, pretended to be a tree I would stamp my foot down into the snow and Mabel would stand in the angle that my foot made with uh, the slope now at the beginning of the day I had certainly not expected to be getting so close to a willowy Chinese beauty like this (laughs) so that was another surprise (laughs) a a slightly better one Um, heading down was more treacherous. This is actually a, a less treacherous part that you can see there. The path was narrow and slippery and the hillside you can see was treacherously steep. And at one point, Sanai slipped off, but Graham grabbed her and then he needed me to help him get enough traction to pull her back up again. And I admired how Mabel actually avoided this by sliding down the whole way on her backside. <laughs> of course, she ruined her jeans. And um, we all made it back safely, apart from that pair of jeans. And I'd learned a lot about planning hikes. A couple of weeks later, I left for America, leaving Japan forever, at least as far as I was aware. In America, I was a bit surprised to find that this girl, Mabel, uh, was on my mind. Her persistence had impressed me, and the unexpected intimacy of climbing that steep, snowy slope was memorable. Of course, the biggest surprise was yet to come because I was going to find myself back in Japan with the chance to get to know this Mabel better. And of course, you know what happened eventually because she's right there. Um, Now, hopefully you got the idea from this story that surprise can be both pleasant and unpleasant. And even both at once. But it always gets our attention. So how does surprise work in scripture? We're going to be reading today from uh, Genesis, the story of Isaac in Genesis chapter 18, verses um, 1 to 15. So I might ask... Luke, if he can read that from the screen here. All right, Genesis chapter 18, 1 to 15. Uh, The Lord appeared to Abraham at the oaks of Mamah while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent during the heat of the day. He looked up and he saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the entrance of the tent to meet them, bowed to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have found favor with you, please do not go on past your servant. Let a little water be brought, that you may wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. I will bring a bit of bread, so that you may uh, strengthen yourselves. This is why you have passed your servant's way. Later, you can continue on. Yes, they replied. Do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent and said to Sarah, Quick, knead three measures of fine flour and make bread. 
Abraham ran to the herd and got a tender, choice calf. He gave it to the uh, gave it to a young man who hurried to prepare it. Then Abraham took curds and milk as well as the calf that he had prepared and set them before the men. He served them as they ate under the tree. Where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. There, in the tent, he answered. The Lord said, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him. Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in years. Sarah had passed the age of childbearing, so she laughed to herself. After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I have delight? But the Lord asked Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will come back to you, and in about a year she will have a son. Sarah denied it. I did not laugh, she said, because she was afraid. But he replied, No, you did laugh. Hmm. So a strange ending to that story. It has this story of Isaac has several more episodes, but it's it's a great example of how God uses surprise and how we see it in the Bible. So let's just dig into this story a bit. Now the first thing to note about it is that God is the one revealing the surprise, not the one getting surprised. In fact, God never gets surprised. Why not? Because he already knows everything. In Psalm 139, David writes of God's intimate knowledge of us. And in verse 16, he says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me, in other words, days in the future, were written in your book before one of them came to be. It's impossible to be surprised if you already know everything, including what's yet to come. But we do have a puzzle. Jesus is God, but Jesus can be surprised. And we see that in Matthew. Matthew chapter 24 verse 36 says, However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. That's the end of the world. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. So Jesus doesn't know the time of his own second coming. How can this work? Well, you must remember that Jesus is both God and man. In Philippians, Paul explains how Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So Jesus emptied himself of some of his divinity in some mysterious way so that he could join himself with us and stand in our place and take our punishment on himself. So we have to conclude that one of the things that Jesus emptied himself of was omniscience, the knowledge of all things. So like us, He's open to surprise. Now the second thing to note in the Isaac story is that God uses surprise to get our attention. He does this consistently throughout scripture. In the prophets, (coughs) the wisdom literature, in Jesus' teaching, in the gospels, and in the letters of the apostles. 
as we've mentioned, even the second coming is going to be a surprise, and God uses that surprise to keep us ready. But how does God use surprise in Isaac's story? Well, for a start, God made a surprise appearance. Appearing suddenly in front of Abraham's home and demanding his attention. Abraham and Sarah scurried about preparing a meal for their surprise guests, but the surprises were not over. God had come to announce that his promise was finally coming true. They will have a son. Sarah's response made it clear that she'd given up hope in that. She was surprised into a laugh. And a year later, Isaac was born. And pay attention to the beautiful notes of surprise and delight that we read about in Isaac's birth. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac, which means laughter. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Think about this. If God had given Abraham and Sarah a son when they were just normal age, would they have been surprised and delighted? Would people have laughed over Sarah? Laughed with joy? That's not mockery, that's joy. Would they have been surprised and delighted? Sure, they would have been happy, but the extra zing of surprise would have been missing and their faith would not have been stretched at all. God's surprise powerfully grew their faith. And God still had an Isaac surprise to grow Abraham's faith. Years later, God made the most surprising request of Abraham. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Now, this is not a pleasant surprise, unlike the birth of Isaac. But by now, Abraham has learnt to trust God, so he immediately set out in obedience. But God had another surprise in store for him. After Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You've not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named the place Yahweh Yara, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as proverb 
on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Do you think God's provision would have been as memorable if he'd simply asked Abraham to go to a mountain where he would find a ram ready to sacrifice? Would Abraham have known how far he could trust God if God had simply said, I will always provide? Of course not. God used surprise to weld his providence into Abraham's memory, into his his culture, so that even his descendants would never forget it. And we remember this story still. God uses surprise over and over again, choosing Jacob over Esau, using the kidnapped Joseph to save not only Egypt, but Israel, using the exiled Moses, the murderer, and shocking plagues to rescue his people. The prophets are called to surprise people, running around naked, preaching to pagan Nineveh, cooking on poo, marrying a prostitute, and so on. Sounds crazy, right? It's all in the Bible. And at last, in the biggest surprise of all, God himself came into the world as a baby born in a stable, who was then hung on a cross. Almost everything Jesus said and did was a surprise. It's hard for us to see how shocking his ministry was because we're so familiar with it. But shocking it was, and it still is. Which leads us to the question, how should we handle surprise? Does God still want to surprise us? I think the answer to that is yes. And I think the story of my hike illustrated that in my life. After all, I ended up married to one of those girls and and not the one that I might have expected to at the beginning of the hike. Not that I expected to get married to somebody just because I was hiking with them. (laughs) But I think God was at work there, as always. And last term we studied in our Tuesday night study, we studied Jesus' parables. And we found that Jesus always placed a surprising development in his parables. The prodigal son wasted wasted the family's money on sin, but he gets a huge welcome home. Everyone gets paid the same, no matter how long they worked. The dishonest steward is complimented on his shrewdness, and so on. That surprise grabs our attention. It forces us to think, to puzzle out the parable it keeps it in our mind and it it welds it to our memory and our culture and God still does that to us today when we read the Bible we need to be open to its shock value anger is equivalent to murder what on earth we need to think about that we need to wrestle with that At the same time, we must also be open to the surprise and delight of an Isaac, of a Mabel. God's blessings are so often sweetened by their surprising arrival or their nature. And when we share the story of Jesus with others, 
we should imitate God and seek to surprise. Don't sugarcoat our sin or the cross that paid for it. Don't play down the astonishing grace of God and his beauty. We have a God who delights to surprise and astonish his children. We live in a world full of wonderful surprises. So let's enjoy them and share them. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you don't make life boring. We thank you that you didn't make a boring universe. You didn't come to the end of day six and say, that's nice and mechanical and boring. You created a universe that surprises and delights us. And you yourself are a constant source of surprise and delight. So Lord, open our hearts to, to the joy and to the, the, even the terror at times, the, the attention-grabbing difference of surprise. Help us to be ready to see, to hear, to listen. And help us to remember that, we, that our faith isn't boring. But we're not boring, unless we want to be. As Christians, we don't have a boring message. We have an exciting, surprising, delighting message. Help us to remember that as we live our lives and as we share our faith with others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.